this is a phrase I believe I've stolen from John Bergman and I use it all the time. I feel like flipped learning is about answering the question about what's the best use of the face-to-face -face time you have with your students and then how can you leverage the tools and technology that's available to us to ensure that you are doing those things during class time or during that group learning space that are going to be the most valuable um, for student learning. You're listening to the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log. Stories from inspiring educators, leaders, and influencers who are challenging the status quo. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With the ability to track student progress and quiz results, data provided by My Study Series ensures teachers remain informed of how well their students are performing. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 65 of the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log where you're able to grow, learn and develop by accessing high quality PLD when you need it most. I'm your host Carl Condoliff and once again I'm joined by my co-host Celia Fleck. Celia, are you wearing a mask right now? <laughs> Not right now. Not right <laughs> now, but I have had quite a bit of experience wearing masks over the last little while. Um, I've had a few flights around the country, so yeah, it's been interesting. It's uh, I think you made a comment when we were speaking or after we spoke with Scott, how I was talking about, yeah, you know, everything's back to normal. And then by the time that episode went live, we were, Auckland were back in lockdown and we had community transmission and all sorts of things happening. So um, as of this moment, Auckland, have, what are what are they, two, level 2.5? Yeah, yep. What does that even mean? I don't, I don't even know where that came from. Uh, my understanding is it's level two, but with tougher restrictions around those gathering sizes. So whereas the rest of the country has got maximum gathering sizes of 100, they've got maximum of 10. Okay. I feel I feel really fortunate and lucky at the moment because if, if you think back to the guests that we've had on the podcast, we've had Liz and we talked about flip learning, we've had Scott gamification and this week we have crystal who is all about flip learning so we've had all of these things that i'm i'm really passionate about and um these chats have been really really good what did you think about this this sit down with crystal i really liked this this chat um i thought she was really easy to listen to and yeah just had some really good takeaways like lots of good takeaways and if you were kind of just entering the whole flip learning um realm there were lots of really tangible things to take away from it and just for me a few things that just kind of um started to make sense of it all a little bit more um and a couple of extensions i think for people that perhaps might be quite familiar with it but some ways to think differently about it as well so yeah it was really good chat i enjoyed it she is really, really experienced in, in this flipped approach and 
people, you know, last time I had a chat with somebody about a flipped approach, they kind of rolled their eyes and, and just were like, oh, this again. And, you know, as much as it, it might have been, you know, pushed, 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 um, I still believe it's a really beneficial tool. And I think she framed it really, really well in the sense that um, as teachers, what is our best use of face-to-face -face time? And in all honesty, I don't think the best use of face-to-face -face time is sitting there providing content for our students to consume. I think it's, it's a much better opportunity for us to be doing some of those higher order thinking skills um, such as the creating, the analyzing and the evaluating and getting away from the remembering and the understanding which tends to happen in a more traditional approach. What were the key takeaways for you or one key takeaway? Yeah, I think one of the key takeaways for me was um, a strategy that could be used in the flip learning context, but I could also see how I could apply it to my own mahi not necessarily in that flip learning context but i was saying to you before i think you hear a lot of people say the flip learning is not about the video it's about how we make the most of that face-to-face -face time with our students but yet you very seldom hear some strategies around well what then does that look like how does that look different and because it is a big change in teacher practice for a lot of people in terms of if we're taking away that time delivering content, what do we spend that time doing? So I really liked um, Crystal's whisk sheet. So the um, WSQ, the the watch, the um, the watch, the video, the summarizer, and she talked about even providing some sentence um, starters if required or some guided questions, but kind of having that structured processing time, and then students to pose a question um, and she talked about the different types of questions it might have been a confusion question or a clarification question or a discussion question so something that the class could discuss so I really liked that simple strategy that could then help a teacher um, determine okay what do the kids need now from that face-to-face -face time what do they need clarity around what do they want to discuss what are they interested in so that was really cool yeah, it's a, it's a great framework and I, I picked that up very early from Crystal when I started flipping way back in 2011-12ish um, and it really made things easier for me and I, I hadn't actually thought that it could be a framework that had some use in non-flipped context so um, I'd be interested to see how that goes for you. Uh, for me it was really around that that whole idea or, or the concept or the, um, the approach that Crystal mentioned by a guy called Ramsey Musalim, and that's this this whole idea of explore, flip, apply. So we tend to have this flipped model where you consume content outside of the classroom, you come into into the classroom that's repurposed and it's more active and meaningful. But so Ramsey is talking about this concept of exploring before you consume any flipped content. And it's almost like this discovery phase where um, kids can jump in and be curious and, and learn something on their own before you then present the content and then they're able to apply it. And I've, you know, I, I like to think that my knowledge of flipped learning is, is 
uh, probably quite advanced, but I had never heard of this, and I've been I've been having a good read about it today, and I think it's something that uh, I'm going to try to do a bit more of, just giving kids the opportunity to discover on their own, and build in some accountability and some discovery and some curiosity, and and hopefully the content that we then provide for them is going to be much more relatable than if it was just presented on its own. So um, that was a big takeaway for me. I think um, if you are heading down this flip path or you're curious about it, this is probably one of the best podcasts that you can listen to. And Crystal's an expert. She's a champion of the flipped approach um, and she's a wealth of knowledge. So have a listen. If, if it interests you further, read her book. Um, you can pick it up cheap on Amazon. And also we've got this, as I've mentioned in one of the previous episodes, uh, we have this introduction to flip learning, which I'll put in the show notes as well, a course that you can, can access for free. So let's jump into episode 65 with Crystal Kirch. Crystal, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit of your teaching background and experience and, and a little more about the, your current role in education? Definitely. So I was a high school math teacher for many years. I'm out in Southern California and uh, taught all levels of high school math. And I transitioned about six years ago to an instructional coaching role where I support teachers um, with integrating technology into their classrooms and then more specifically with math curriculum and instruction. So um, I get to work with a wide variety of teachers not just math, but lots of content areas and just helping make their classrooms as effective and engaging as possible with a wide variety of strategies. These teachers, educators that you support, are they just from within one school or is there a wider community that you support or is it nationwide? Um, I mainly for my job support teachers within a district. So we have um, probably like I don't know, 500 teachers, grades six through 12. And um, I've supported at different sites throughout our district and then um, different curriculum areas throughout our district. I do support outside of my job, you know, teachers across the country um, with things around flipped learning. But my day to day is specifically within one school district. Mm, nice. I, I bet your expertise has come in very handy over the over the last few months with COVID and stuff like that. I've definitely had more conversations around flipped learning over the last couple months. <laughs> I feel like it's kind of, you know, picked back up as people have really seen a need for it, which I think is exciting because when people try new things just because it's a new thing without having an intentional purpose, um, it doesn't always turn out to be what it should be. But when teachers, when something fills a need that teachers have, like right now, um, I think flipped learning can easily fill uh, an important need with all the virtual um, and blended learning going on, I think it's so much more powerful because it's more purposeful. 100%. I'm a big advocate for the flip classroom, and I'll definitely call you one of the pioneers of flip learning. Your journey and your ideas have, have really inspired like thousands of educators, if not more. So what kind of led you down a path of a flipped approach in your classroom? It's kind of funny because I always say I just kind of stumbled across it. Um, I was you know, teaching and I was a, a, probably what you'd call a traditional teacher and uh, 
really what happened one day is I taught a lesson that really flopped. I tried some new strategy and it just really didn't work. And so um, I sent my kids home kind of feeling bad. And I that prompted me to make a quick video for them to explain what they were supposed to learn in class that day. And again, flip learning is not about the video, but I feel like that's what kind of... Uh, launched me down that path because they came back the next day and about half of them had watched it and they were like, that was really helpful. And that just got my wheels spinning in terms of like, hmm, like I wonder if I could leverage the use of video um, and have my kids watch something before class so then we could do different things in class. And I started looking online and actually like saw other teachers were starting to do this. And it was back in 2011. And so um, it was still fairly new, but I was able to stumble across some of those uh, other early adopters that were out there and kind of just went from there. I started really uh, exploring. I fully jumped in. I, that was pre-kids for me, so I had a little more time on my hands to spend time um, redesigning and redeveloping the curriculum. And then I just feel like as the months went on, I was able to continue to focus less on the video and more on what I could do during class time and how I could make it the most effective for all of my students. So, I mean, a really bad lesson in a Google search, I feel like, is what <laughs> led me down the path. And then joining with a community of educators on Twitter, I really jumped in on Twitter after I'd been flipping for probably two or three months. And that just really uh, pushed me down that path and got me super passionate about it because I saw that it was something that really could make a difference for my students. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, what's interesting for me, what you said then, was it was more of a self-discovery for you. When I when I compare my, um, I guess, integration of flipped learning back in, at around a, a similar time, it was more about me being absolutely bored and doing a service to my students and then going, well, what, what else is out there? And then I saw, you know, John Bergman and, and Aaron Sam's book and that kind of led me down that path, but for you, it was more of a, a self-discovery, like just seeing how powerful video was. So I, I think that's really cool. Now, my audience is, is reasonably familiar with flipped learning, um, but for any new listeners, and I think it'd be really cool coming from you, how, how would you, in your words, describe flipped learning and, and probably what's what's the, the number one reason why you think it works so well for you? Got it. Well, this is a phrase I believe I've stolen from John Bergman, and I use it all the time. I feel like flipped learning is about answering the question about what's the best use of the face-to-face -face time you have with your students, and then how can you leverage the tools and technology that's available to us to ensure that you are doing those things during class time or during that group learning space that are going to be the most valuable um, for student learning. Um, and so really what that means is removing things from class time. So removing them to a more individual learning space via usually video, and that frees up class time to be able to dive in deeper. Um, and the three things that I encourage teachers um, to think about with their class time is um, making it more student-centered, so less focused on the teacher during class time, uh, making it more active learning, um, so where the students are actively involved in what's happening in class, again, not just sitting there passively, and then things that are higher level thinking or higher order thinking activities. So really transitioning the class time and the group learning space because you now have more time because some of that lower level um, thinking activities, some of the more passive activities or the more teacher-centered activities are removed 
um, from the class time uh, in, off into something, for example, like a video. And so you now have more class time to be able to um, dive into those, what I would call better things. Isn't, isn't it funny that you only mentioned the word video twice and it, it only accounted for a very small part of what you're saying yet we mm -hmm. see so much um, misrepresentation of flip learning being all about the video um, what, are, what are your thoughts around that it's tough because i think the first thing that came out around flip classroom like with that buzzword came from uh, sal khan from khan academy and um again there's benefits what he's doing but i think that gave a lot of misconceptions to people and even now working um during these covid times with teachers i'll hear hear them say the word flipped classroom or um, flipped learning and they're all they're talking about is having kids watch a video um so it's it's tough because I think they're missing the point. I think video mm. is an incredibly valuable tool, but it's a tool that we're leveraging for a purpose. And that purpose is better, more intentional, more effective class time with students so they can dive deeper into the learning. So if the focus is on the video, then you're missing the point of what that tool accomplishes and focusing more on the tool instead of um, instead of the purpose. And so whenever I have conversations with people, I always try to redirect them to that question of, well, what's the best use of your face-to-face -face time that you have with your kids? And yes, there's this awesome tool of video, but how is that, how is your use of that allowing you um, to change what you're doing in class time with kids? Because if it isn't, then I wouldn't even really describe that as flipped learning. I would describe that as you have your kids watch videos. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I think it's it's redirecting them to a purpose. I think that's a timely reminder and that sort of that question, what's the best use of your face-to-face -face classroom time has kind of slipped out of my vocabulary over the last sort of few years as I've, um, you know, as I've moved through my journey and I think it's about time that maybe I brought that back in when I'm having these discussions about flip learning with with educators. Now, outside of this obsession with video that people new to flip learning have, what what other fears do you see um, new teachers to flip learning have? I'd say there's two big ones that stand out to me. Um, one is in terms of time of um, prepping. And that really goes more to the video side of like, well, it's going to take me so much time to make all these videos. Um, so I think that's one big fear. And that is a valid concern. It does take time. Um, it is a time investment up front. But if you are centered on a purpose, I think it makes the time not seem as big of a deal. The other fear, I think, is just letting go of control. Um, teachers love to be the content experts in the classroom. They love to be the ones that have the answers. And it's a shift in education, not even just with flipped learning, but in education in general, is um, the, the teacher not being the sole expert in the classroom. And I think that's a fear that teachers have when they let go of control a little bit and um, have classes be more student-centered and have the kids more actively involved in the learning that, you know, what what is that going to look like and what is my role and am I still just as important? And, and all of those type of fears of almost your identity as an educator that I think a lot of teachers wrestle with. Mm, mm. Yeah, the purpose, that's that's a good point. And I think when people think about purpose, 
um, a lot of people think around that video creation and go, well, I, I, you know, I need to turn everything into a video. And I think if you're, if you're coming back to purpose, well, why are you doing this? And it's not going to be so you can have your entire year um, in video lessons to allow you to, to repurpose your classroom space. It's, it's about picking out some of those key lessons, some of those key concepts that might be supported a lot better. I mean, that's that's how I feel about that whole idea of purpose and, and making videos. And the, the control you talk about, um, don't you, I, I just love this idea of teachers being able to let go and give up some of the power in the classroom, not only to other experts, but to their students as well. And I think um, when you look at the direction of education and how, you know, it's accessible to everybody and also everybody now has a platform which i think is fantastic we're seeing people with expertise all over the world in all sorts of different niches and these people don't need tickets anymore don't need their degree or their masters in education to be able to show that they have some skill and some expertise so i think that's really powerful do you see much i guess real strong resistance from maybe ingrained educators who who feel that they should still hold the power in the classroom? I think I still see a wide range. Um, again, working with all the teachers that I work with and then um, when I have opportunities outside of the district that I'm in, I still think we have a wide range of teachers, ones who are ready to just jump in and whether it's with flipped learning or just the idea of letting go of, you know, letting go of some control. Um, to the other end of the spectrum where they still really want to hold on. Um, and so I think everyone's at a different place in that journey and along in that uh, process. And I've said this question, you know, six times, I think it just comes back to that question of even with those resistant teachers, like, are you doing in class time with your students everything that you wish mm -hmm. that you could? Um, and if not, then let's evaluate the things that you're doing and let's um, give you the supports that you need to start being more comfortable with maybe letting go of control of some things or letting students explore things in a way that doesn't come directly from you. Um, so yeah, I still think there's a, a wide gamut if you look at teachers, I mean, across the globe, um, since you're out in New Zealand, I'm sure you see the same thing. Um, we, I still think it's all over the place. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You've, you've got a book, uh, Flipping with Kirch, and I've, I, I haven't read the entire book, but I've seen parts of it and it, it actually looks like a really solid uh, flip learning resource. So I'm going to put it in the, in the show notes. But in that book, you talk about the three main shifts that a teacher progresses through when implementing the flipped approach. Um, and you've got the uh, spoon, fork and knife analogy. Can you describe that for us? Because I think it's, it's actually really cool. For sure. Yeah. And I've kind of alluded to it, um, but I like connecting it to the analogy because it helps me remember it <laughs> um, and it kind of gives me a visual. So the spoon represents the shifts, the shift from being a teacher centered classroom to a student centered classroom. So from the teacher being like the sole deliverer of content to it being more focused on the students, maybe students generating their own knowledge, students being able to be a part of that. Um, that knowledge construction and just focusing on the student needs versus what you just, you know, going into a lesson as the teacher and just giving the students all the things that you think they need without actually finding out what they need. So um, really shifting to being more focused on the students. Um, and that involves 
um, getting a lot of feedback and formative assessment from the students as well. Um, and you have more time in a flipped class, I feel like, to do that um, because you're not so focused on content delivery during class time. Uh, the fork is about the shift from, oh, and I guess I should give the reason why it's the analogy because <laughs> that would probably be important too. Um, and so the reason teacher-centered to student-centered is with the spoon is just the idea of the teacher's not the one like always spoon feeding everything to the students. And so that's where the spoon comes in. The fork um, is about the shift from passive learning to active learning. Um, and when I think of a fork, I think of my kiddos trying to eat spaghetti with a fork and how actively involved that fork is and making sure that spaghetti makes it into their mouths and not all over their shirt or all over the floor, um, that it's just wrapped around the fork. and the idea that kids are actively involved in their learning, um, they're invested in their learning, you have activities where they can be um, really involved in the process of learning and not just be receivers of information. How can they be doers of things with the information, creators, evaluators, etc. And that goes right into the knife, which is the shift um, from lower level thinking or lower order thinking to higher order thinking. And I think about a knife we use it to cut deep into things, just like we want to cut deep into the learning. Um, and when I'm talking about lower order and higher order thinking, I'm referring a lot to Bloom's taxonomy. So we're talking about remembering and understanding are really those lower order thinking skills. And then we get to applying, analyzing, evaluating, and creating which are those higher order skills, and how can we have class time be focused as much as possible on, um, on those higher level skills and offloading those remembering, those understanding skills to be outside of class time so you have more time in class to um, do the higher level skills. So the, the spoon taking away like the spoon feeding, the fork, getting kids actively involved, and the knife really cutting deep into those higher level skills and that deep learning is my little spoon fork knife analogy. I love that. That's um, that's fantastic. I'm going to steal that the next time I get to speak about flip learning. Now, I'm feel free. <laughs> I'm fairly certain that you didn't stumble into flip learning and then go, oh, this is just like a spoon fork and, and knife and this is perfect. So can you can you describe how your flipped approach, how your own flipped approach has evolved over the last 10 years and, and any significant shifts in the way that you've done things? Yeah, so things constantly evolved. I decided to start blogging through my um, journey about three months into flipping, and I would blog every single week, every Friday afternoon, and I would talk about what was good, what was bad, and what was ugly. You'll notice great was not a topic uh, because there was a lot that needed to be tweaked and there was a lot that needed to be changed. And so um, within the first year, things I feel like I was figuring things out weekly and then you know, every year you kind of do a lot of reflecting over the summer and continue to make adjustments. So um, there's so many things. I mean, things as big, I have five questions that, um, they are in my book as well, and I think I have some blog posts, but it's five questions that every flipped classroom teacher must answer. And I feel like those are the, the um, questions that as my approach evolved, I feel like those are kind of the things that they evolved in. So the first question deals with organization of materials. And like that was, a, that seems so minor, but huge in terms of how I structured 
um, just the basic access to materials for students and organized it in a way where they weren't going to have a bunch of excuses that they couldn't find things. So thankfully, I figured that one out pretty quickly. <laughs> um, the second one is around accountability of how am I going to hold students accountable? And we'll talk uh, um, about the WISC model and just a little bit to a little bit deeper, but finding ways for students to um, uh, ensure that they actually got what I wanted out of the video lesson. So I feel like that was um, an evolution, figuring out how to do that. The third question is around giving students processing time, gathering feedback from students, and in really designing discussion activities during class time that were going to be effective. So I feel like all five of those areas, organization, accountability, processing, um, feedback, and discussion were um, big areas of evolution. I feel like the biggest one, and I actually kind of hit this one once I actually left the classroom and started coaching teachers, um, I started dabbling in it um, the last semester, was really trying to find activities to do before kids watched a video on a topic. So Ramsey Musalam has done a lot of work around the idea of an explore, flip, apply model, um, where students are getting, um, with some sort of inquiry or discovery or exploration activity and the video not being their initial uh, exposure to the content, trying to find ways for them to uh, have have some inquiry or exploration or discovery um, before that. So um, I feel like my answer to this question you asked was a little all over the place because I feel like there's a lot of small evolutions, but if I were to say the biggest evolution, I would say it's finding ways um, to give students opportunities to explore with the content um, before just um, spoon feeding them some of the basic material. No, that's that's fascinating, and that's the first I've I've heard of that. And I want to I want to dig a little bit deeper. What so what's in, in terms of some prior learning before digesting some flipped content? What could that look like? Could that just be say a critical question and discussion that's had in the class, or is it some other task that you might do with the students before they consume a video? Um, I think it could look a lot of different ways depending on your content area. Just to give an example. Um, I taught pre-calculus and we, one of the things we, we learned was the unit circle, which could very easily be, all right, guys, here's what it is. Here's the ordered pairs, memorize it and use it. But instead I wanted kids to actually, um, you can actually develop it. And so using special right triangles, again, if you're not a math person, this probably isn't going to make sense, but Definitely using, not a math person. Uh, <laughs> but using, um, just some some characteristics of math things that they already knew from prior years they actually had to construct it themselves and so we did this discovery activity during class where they constructed the unit circle and figured out all the labelings on their own simply by using some background knowledge that they had and then that night for homework I kind of synthesized on a video what they had discovered in class and kind of showed them how we were going to use it. And then the next day in class, they were able to jump into that application analysis evaluation level with that. So instead of them just being told, here's a unit circle and here's how to, you know, here's how to do it, they kind of had to figure it out themselves. Um, in science, it could look like doing an exploratory lab and then 
diving into like, okay, here's kind of the specifics, the vocabulary, et cetera, but they don't know that stuff when they're doing the exploration. Mm. Um, and ideally for some of them, you know, kids might be able to discover some things that they, um, that you might in the past have just outright told them, but now that they've discovered it or they've thought about it, it's going to lead to that deeper learning and that most likely um, longer retention too, because they have ownership over it. They've actually had some time to explore. And you you can't necessarily do that for every topic. Um, I would try to, my my last um, year, last semester, when I was in my actual classroom, try to have at least one of those a unit. Um, But that was something that I wish that I would have had time to do more of. And so when I'm working with teachers, that's kind of a lens that I'm coming through is don't just give them video. What can you have them do before the video that might make them think? Again, it could be like just a critical question, a a brief discussion, just something that's getting them to think before just being told um, the information in the video. That's great. I love that. And this is already my key takeaway from this discussion is going to be that. And I'm going (laughs) to double down on that and try to, see how I can implement it in some of the things I do. So re- really appreciate you sharing that with us. Now, awesome, of course. I th- I think, now you might not like this, but I think you're most well known for your your whisk sheet. So can you, first of all, is, is that something you're proud of or is it, is it something that kind of frustrates you that you're really well known for that? And then can you describe what it is and, and what it does for a flipped classroom? Yeah, I'm, I guess you could say I'm proud of it. I mean, um, I feel like it's something so simple, yet I feel like it's one of the most powerful tools for flipping. Like, I feel like it's the answer to a lot of issues that teachers have. Um, So to give a little background on the WISC, so it's just WSQ and it's an acronym. Um, And I was like, how am I supposed to pronounce this? And I was like, sure, WISC, that sounds great. And it was about two months into flipping. And I was like, how do I know if my kids even watch the video? And like, they're coming to class, but like, how do I know if they've actually like thought about what um, the video was on? So they're ready to dive into those higher level thinking activities, or if they just like mindlessly had it playing in the background. And I was like, what do I actually want them to do? Because like, they got to do more than just watch the video. Because if all they do is watch it, like, I don't know that anything actually stuck in the brain. So I was literally like awake at midnight one night. It was like winter break. And I was like jotting notes in the dark on a piece of paper of like, you know, this, what do I want them to do with the video? And what I came up with was um, watch, summarize, and question. So that's what the WSQ stands for, watch, summarize, question. Um, And I said, you know, okay, I want them to watch the video. That's clearly, you know, they got to start with that. And I want them... Uh, describing what that looks like. Okay, so you need to be actively taking notes and try, you know, intentionally train them how to watch a video for education and not just entertainment, all of that. But once the video is over, you've got to do something else to make sure that you're at least coming to class with some level of preparedness so you are ready to do the things that the spoon, fork, and knife analogy you know, calls us to do. And so I said, okay, if all they do is watch, the information is going to go in one ear, out the other. I need to give them something that's not only going to hold them accountable for actually listening and paying attention, but also give them some processing time for them to make sense of what they just heard. So I kind of call the the summarized part of the WISC structured processing time. If you ask any student, like, yeah, after you watch the video, like, um, 
you know, make sure you think through it and, and actually understand what was there. Like some students may intentionally do that, but a lot of students are going to be like, all right, video's over, I'm done. So by um, requiring them not just to do the W, but to do the W and the S, they now have um, some processing time structured for them where it's like, okay, I've got to not just have things go in one ear out the other, I've got to let it ruminate in my brain a little bit. And that summary can look like a lot of different things. It could literally be like, hey, kiddos, like write a three to four sentence summary. Um, I found my students needed more structure, so I might pose some sentence starters for them. I might pose some guided questions for them, but something where they're having to kind of tell me about what they learned and how they would synthesize it. And that allowed them to be held accountable because you couldn't make that up too well and also to process. And so um, they had thought about it a little bit more than just hearing it. Um, and then the Q stands for question. And I required all of my students to ask a question. Um, it was not, do you have a question? It's, what is your question? And I told them that they could ask a question that was a confusion or a clarification, something that they were stuck on. Um, and I did learn near talking about kind of shifts over time that sometimes kids don't want to admit they have a confusion but they'll admit that they have a clarification. And so um, giving them specific types of questions you can ask, all right, you can ask a confusion question, a clarification question, a discussion question. You feel like you understood everything? Well, ask a good discussion question that maybe we can talk about in class for students who maybe didn't understand all of it. Um, for math, they could write their own example question. Okay, you saw some stuff worked out, now write your own problem, create your own problem, and solve it as your question. But the idea that students not just watch the video, they had to process and then they almost had to produce something. They had to produce a question that hopefully showed some critical thinking or some areas, some gaps, really allowed that class time to be the most effective. Um, so kids were held accountable, kids were given processing time, and then for the majority, my first year they did this on paper, so I didn't see it before they walked in, but for the other years I did it on a Google form, and 90% of my kids could do it on a Google form. Kids who didn't necessarily have it, good internet would still do it um, on paper, but for 90% of the kids, I'd get their answers in a spreadsheet before they walked into class, and so now if we're talking about me making the best use of my face-to-face -face time and me wanting class time to be focused around student needs, I have this entire spreadsheet of their summaries or their whatever that ended up being um, that I can skim through to kind of see like, okay, did my kids get the gist of it? And then a question from every kid that's labeled as like a confusion. So questions I know actually were confusions or just good questions that are discussion questions. Um, and um, I know more what I need to do in class to support my students in moving forward now because of the WISC. So I just, I feel like it provides, it's like that package, it seems so simple. Watch summarize question. Like it is not rocket science here. And again, it was an idea that I came up with at midnight when I was like, what do my students need? But it answers the questions of accountability. It answers the questions of kids coming to class um, 
actually being decently prepared to engage in the activities you want. And it answers that question of feedback for teacher of like, how can I actually ensure that what I'm doing with my face-to-face -face time is what my students need? Well, you can ask them before they even come to class by using the WISC model. So I think it's simple but powerful. I love how you're so passionate about it too. Like you just spoke for like almost almost seven minutes on, oh gosh, on a whisk sheet. That, no, that's so good. I, I love it. And, you know, you're right. It is so simple. And you think, you know, I, I one of the first things I tell teachers when I'm, you know, running some training on flip learning is you got to teach the kids how to watch a video. And they think, oh, my gosh, actually, that's a great idea. And removing distractions and, and minimizing notifications and wearing headphones and all those sorts of things that you don't think about. But everything else is, is just so simple. And like yourself, my use of a, of a whisk, whisk sheet evolved from paper to Google Form. And, and the way I use it now with my students every time we do a flip video is their question um, is a starting point for a discussion with their peers. So as they come into my classroom after watching a video, they sit in their groups and they have to present their question to their group and their, their group discusses it. They try to solve the question for the student to support them and then what they do is they take the best question in the group and they present it to the class and then um, this is all student-led so I sit back and I watch and what that allows me to do is just look at the little pockets of um, you know gaps and knowledge and look at how the students are engaging with one another and they all come together to, to help um, solve that question and that's really powerful for me because it helps me determine the next best steps for the class and are we ready to go and do those higher order thinking skills or do we need to maybe spend a little bit more time on on some of some of the understanding of those concepts and you know that's that's so powerful to be able to use in, in the classroom so um, i think there are a lot of educators that owe you um a beer for that one because it's <laughs> such <laughs> such a good tool now before we get to the last question is there anything i might have missed that you want to mention or is there anything you want to ask me um, well, I think the example you just provided is that next step, which is, yeah, what, what are you doing in class? And I love the example of how you were, again, leveraging the students, um, the students' questions to then guide what happens in class so intentionally. It goes right back with like the spoon, fork, and knife. Um, and I think that's that next question that teachers need to ask is what, okay, I have this information. I've held them accountable. I've given them processing time. I have this information. Now, what am I going to do in class with it that um, is going to be powerful for students? So thank you for sharing your example. Um, and I know that teachers have uh, tried various things with that. So um, I don't know if I can think of anything else. You had a lot of fabulous questions. Um, I think just the purpose of flipping is so huge. I'm just going back again to that face-to-face -face time. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, thinking about how you're going to make that time so valuable and, uh, yeah, valuable and meaningful. And I think the whisk is a great tool everyone can steal that i have no uh you know no copyright or anything on that steal it tweak it and make it better um because yeah it's there to be a tool for kids um so you shared your example and i think from your twitter handle aren't you a pe teacher 
Yeah, yeah, I, I am a PE teacher, which probably confuses a lot of people from your area of the world because we, we in, in New Zealand, our curriculum, physical education, has parity with it's a core subject. And we have um, okay. in, the sen in the senior school, we generally have two practical sessions a week, but then we have two theory sessions. And surprisingly, okay. this surprises a lot of people. Um, so we, in our curriculum, we have to do achievement standards, which are worth about four credits for each standard. And we might do six or seven standards a year. So approximately 21 credits. And of those 21 credits, only four of them are practical. The rest are theory-based credits in physical education in New Zealand. Wow. Mm. Well, that is like a perfect opportunity for the flipped learning model. Because yeah. I think when I first you know, met you digitally on Twitter, I was like, I wonder what this is looking like in <laughs> PE. But again, when you have some of the theory stuff, I think that makes it um, all the more powerful because there's a ton of stuff you can do flipped learning with. Yeah, and, and our so. students come through the junior school at high school and it's a very practical approach and they get into the senior school where they need these credits and they're like, what do you mean we have to write? And so it's a really good <laughs> way to leverage um, a flipped approach because all of a sudden, you know, we're not, I'm not chalking and talking in front of my class, getting them to write down key concepts. We're, we're doing these in real world contexts with the students where we're not sitting back and learning about concepts. They've watched a, a little video and then we can go and experience and it's, it's so powerful for those kids and, and they love it. And, and as soon as they realize, oh, actually, if I just do a little bit of work at home, our, our lesson time can be so much more engaging for them. So I think um, for a physical educator in New Zealand, a, a flipped approach is, is really just a no-brainer. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, I'm going to, this last question, I'm going to start with a story. I'm going to share a story with you before I before I ask this. But when I first started flipping, and this, is, this memory is just ingrained uh, with me, uh, I had a, a year 13 class, which is um, our last year of secondary school in New Zealand. And I, and, and I was loving it. I'd watched Salman Khan's TED Talk and I'd, I'd read um, John's book in, in a day, literally read it in a day. And I was going about making these resources and I'd done a couple of lessons with the kids. And, and one day we come into class and a, a kid called Bryn, his name's Bryn, and he put his hand up at the back and he said, look, they, they used to call me condo back then because um, I was at a, quite a liberal school um, and they called you whatever they wanted to call you. But they, he said, look, condo, we really appreciate what you're doing, but man, you've got to get excited about this. You sound like you're putting us to sleep with the way you talk. And I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a confident speaker by any means, but um, that was a really, really good eye opener for me to, to see how powerful this approach was and that the kids were were engaging with it despite me being a terrible speaker so what i wanted to ask you was what's the most unique piece of student feedback you've ever received after introducing a flipped approach with them oh goodness this is a tough one to end on <laughs> um <laughs> you asked me all the easy ones early um it's funny because if i, I I gathered a ton of student feedback and I would recommend that for anyone who's flipping is you want students to buy in what you're doing and so you want to get their feedback and make tweaks and I feel like that's something that um, I would continually do and as I was blogging and reflecting I was making tweaks and a lot were based on my professional judgment and a lot were based on um, things that students recommended. Um, I have two 
boys whose faces are still in my mind. And I think I'll, I'll mention these because they were unique pieces of feedback because they weren't positive necessarily, but they verified everything that I wanted to do. Um, so one student gave me the feedback again of something similar along the lines of like, why do we have to like come in and like discuss in groups? Why can't you just tell us exactly what we need to know? Um, and kind of went went on a little bit more with the feedback of his impression of the flipped classroom. And I had a longer conversation with him, but that piece of feedback like only verified for me what my purpose was in doing. And it was like, my answer to him was, in short, like, well, that's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to have to talk in groups and I don't want you to have to listen to me. Um, and another student, uh, again, I remember their faces. I can't remember their names because it's been like eight years now, but I, their faces are ingrained in my brain because they were such nice kids, but they hated the flipped learning model um, at first. They came around by the end of the year um, and it was because they were so used to being um, spoon fed passive learning, lower order thinking. Mm. And that's what they thought education was about. And um, I'm so glad they were, you know, open and honest in their feedback to me, um, because it allowed me to help them to see that education is not about sitting in class, getting information from a teacher and spitting it back out on a test. It's so much more than that. Um, and by the end of the year, both of these boys that I have in mind came around and really embraced it and enjoyed it. But that feedback early on, because it was both, those were both in my first year flipping, like really helped me to solidify what my purpose was um, in flipping and being able to communicate that with students and parents who saw that things were different um, than a so-called traditional classroom, but there's a reason why they're different and this is gonna be the benefits that it's going to bring to you. Mm. I mean, and I think those two stories really highlight another key point that educators really have to embrace and, and that's actually teaching students and parents and informing them about what flipped learning is and how it works and why we're doing it because they have this idea of what education needs to look like but it actually doesn't need to look like that and I've tried to implement things mm -hmm. like passion projects with my classes before and you know having an hour of genius time and it's just fallen over because I haven't taken those steps to really educate and inform and provide those foundation levels for those kids so I think if you are serious about having a flipped approach, you really need to think about how you're going to present it to um, even your senior leadership, how you're going to present it to them, how you're going to present it to your parents and your mm -hmm. students, because when they have that really strong understanding, then uh, it's easier for them to pick up and understand and, and know the backstory or your purpose to it. So I, I think that's mm -hmm. a, a really good point you raised there. Hey, I just want to take this opportunity um, to, to thank you for sitting down. Now, I, I called you a pioneer at the start of um, the podcast episode, but actually you're one of my, my flipped heroes because um, you really, you know, after seeing Sal's video and then reading um, John and Aaron's book, your website was, was a real point of call for me a lot in those early days, and you kind of led me down um, a journey that ended up with me forming my own company and launching a platform that, you know, a commercial platform that is based from a flipped approach. And that's changed my life and it's changed my family's life. And, and it's people like you and, and John and, and all those people who are passionate about flipped learning back then that made that 
um, available for, for people like myself. So thank you so much for the for the time you give and the energy you've put into this approach because I, I think it's super powerful. I think um, every teacher should be doing it in some form or another and people that, that aren't are really missing out and doing their kids a disservice. So thank you very much, Crystal. Well, you're very welcome. It's always a pleasure to get to um, chat about the flipped classroom and flipped learning because I'm clearly very passionate about it. And then to be able to connect with people who, again, we've never met in person, but we've met on Twitter. And it's awesome that there are these avenues that we are able to use to, um, yeah, just continue to inspire each other and encourage each other. And um, we use the hashtag better together a lot. I think that's in <laughs> I have that in my throughout my book in some places and really we are better together and so um, you know all of us are on this journey and we're all here to um, just continue to help each other be better and ultimately it's to be better for our students um, because we're all passionate about about students so I'm and uh, I'm I uh, love being able to be on this journey with you and with so many other people who are putting themselves out there and wanting to grow and uh, wanting to continue to improve. Thanks, Crystal.